16 dysfunctional years in a marriage with an alcoholic, desperately trying to have a normal life, never really knowing what he was going to come home to. Tony shares his story of going from darkness to light. If you've ever loved an addict, you may have reached an exhausted, painful point where you felt broken and were struggling to just keep it all together. I am Kim Moore, and this is Smiling Again, where in each episode we remind you that you are not alone. Together, one thing at a time, we will take small steps to introduce little changes into your life to help you let go, break free of guilt, and live with self-compassion so that you can feel good on the inside and start smiling again. So welcome to another episode of Smiling Again. Today with me is a gentleman called Tony, Tony Newell. And Tony's here to chat with me about his experience being married to an alcoholic. So Tony, thank you for having the courage to speak with me today. Yes. uh, Good afternoon, Kim. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Well, I I am grateful that you're here because I know I know these conversations are difficult and I know often surrounding alcoholism in the family, we tend to keep things quiet. And yes. I think it's really important for us to talk about it so people who hear learn about what it's like because there really is no understanding unless you're in the situation. And those who are in the situation, hopefully they can hear that they're not alone and they're not the only one going through circumstances similar to yours. So thank you. Yes. So you were uh, married for 18 years and your wife is, is the alcoholic. And you described to me that it was dysfunctional for 16 years. What did you mean by that? Um, dysfunctional. <laughs> it was, um, she was a very, um, Alcoholics can be either very functional or unfunctional, and she was a very unfunctional alcoholic. She um, refused to work. Um, She would come up with any excuse she could to not work. Um, So that put a lot of strain on our finances. Um, She was spending, oh gosh, about $500 a month and $600 a month on alcohol and, and cigarettes because when she drank, she smoked a lot. She bragged about being an alcoholic. She always, well, I'm just an alcoholic. You have to live with it. She went through treatment many times, would go to treatment. She tried AA. She tried Celebrate Recovery. Um, and through all that, she, all she um, kind of seemed to um, always still come out my fault. No matter what happened, it was always my fault. That was she always went back to drinking. Sometimes there was times that she would she would be honest with me about why she drank, about her childhood, about her kids, about this and that. But most of all, it was because I didn't make enough money or I didn't I couldn't support the family correctly. Or so that's pretty much how I lived for 18 years. It was a a drunk that um, would stay drunk for like three months straight wake up drunk or wake up and drink, pass out. She never really slept for that at those times. She would um, 
when she finally would start coming out of her so her episodes, I called them, I guess, for three or four months at a time, she would get straight for about two, three months. And, oh, yeah, I'm kind of sorry. It wasn't really a I'm sorry. It was always a half a sorry. It was always, um, oh, yeah, you know, I'm. It's it's because I'm so sad or it's always because of this. So you got to understand. And I always did. I always understood. I always gave her the benefit of the doubt that I understood why she was drinking. I knew, I mean, I understand that's, I, I wish I, I tried helping her see things differently. So she didn't have to look, everything she looked at was always negative. It was like an excuse. She was looking for excuses to drink. So it was kind of hard to, to um, live. Didn't go out much. We had friends and uh, they, a lot of them, we lost a lot of friends because of it. And I would, um, have to stay working through all this and and um as i was working had not knowing what to come home to when she was in her episodes of passed out if she'd be stopped drinking if she would be dead if she would be how i just i never knew what situation i was going to be walking in when i came home and And, tony how how did that make you feel because i oh i know what that's like at the time when you're going through it, it's like, you don't really know. It's kind of like, it kind of numbs you, you kind of get um, numb because it's the hurt is so bad. You don't, the scare is so bad. You don't, you really just kind of do it day by day and kind of go through it. Now, when I look back on it, it, I feel all the pain. I feel all the hurt during the time you don't realize how much damage it's doing to you mentally. So let's, let's pause there for a moment, Tony. I know when we look back, we can, we sort of replay the events in our heads of what somebody did or what things were like. Now, when you look back, are you, are you able to look at it from the perspective of what you were doing? or how you were feeling, how you were coping in those situations? Yes, not good. <laughs> I wasn't, I, I, when I was going through it, I thought I was strong, I could do it. And and I was doing it to help her, um, all those things. But I lost myself. I lost who I was. I lost, I lost me. <laughs> and it took, um, quite a few incidences to finally start putting it together, what was going on and about seven years ago, I guess it was about the end of it. That's when the thing started, when I started getting back to wait a minute, this is not going to end well. This is not good. Um, you know, you never want to uh, abandon it, um, abandoned her or I never wanted to, didn't want her on the streets. I always felt like if I just kicked her out, I felt like she was going to be dead. I, I thought she was going to die. I really did. I didn't think she was going to live through it. Yeah, there's there's at least three times where I should have ended it, and I bet she would have been she would have hit rock bottom and got better, or found her own way and been fine, and I would have been much better off. But I kept thinking that you can always help. I mean, I I can't just leave her on the streets. I can't. 
I moved to Phoenix in 2008 to leave her and to move on with my life at that time. She was couldn't keep a job in Minnesota. She um, was losing the house. She was her house. And um, of course, that's all my fault at this time. But she couldn't keep a job and um, she was losing the house. She ran up a huge attorney bill with her attorney for fighting for her custody of her kids from her ex-husband. And I couldn't deal with it anymore. I says, I'm done. I had had her in treatment a few times and it wasn't working. And I says, I'm done. I'm out. I left in November uh, of 2008, October, uh, September of 2008. And by November, she was calling me up and begging me to get back together. And um, so um I moved her to Phoenix with me and that kind of put guilt on me for the rest of the time because she has nowhere to go now. She has no family around, nothing. So that always kept me feeling guilty that I have to take care of her. And um, that was far from the truth. I could have let her go at any time. Um, But um, that was my guilt. And I think she played that on me a lot. You shared with me also that your health became quite critical with fourth stage stage colon cancer. Wearing my shirt today, colon cancer warriors. Oh, brilliant. Um, Yes. Um, Well, first I kind of lead up to that in 2015, um, we had a good break. We was about 16 months uh, or well, not even quite that month, about 13 months of bliss. It was great. She was sober. We were actually getting involved back in the church we were actually doing marriage counseling and I thought, this is great. This is right work. That's why all I went through all this. I went through all this to help other couples. <clears throat> I was, it was great. That was the best time of my marriage right there. And um, it was going great. And we got a knock on the door at 10 o'clock at night on October 15th, 2015, I believe, or 16. Her daughter, seven, my stepdaughter, her daughter, um, seven, 16 years old, was in a motorcycle accident. And it was pretty severe. She lived through it. She's fine. She's got some leg damage, but she lived through it. But the cops just told us she was doing 90 miles an hour on the back of a bike. And they hit a curb and she went flying. So we're on the way to the hospital not knowing what it was. And all I'm thinking is I just lost everything. I just lost everything. I don't know if I'm going to make it or our daughter. And then that's going to cause my wife to start drinking again and everything's going to go out. Well, sure enough, um, six months later, not even six months later, she was drinking again and it was pretty heavy. And she got us uh, evicted from our home because she got in a fight with a neighbor in our apartment and um, they don't allow police action on her property and all this stuff. So we got evicted three days to get kicked out. We got kicked out of there and it took about two years to rebuild back up to a nice apartment again and everything, get back together or get back in a nice place and get going good. And everything was sort of going good. She wasn't drinking as much at the time and everything. And then on February 6, 2018, I was diagnosed with uh, cancer. It was about a week long. I was in the hospital for anemic. Um, The tumor was sucking all my blood out and all this. So they had to get the tumor out right away, the colon. And um, during the CAT scan, they noticed two more spots on the liver. So it was automatically fourth stage colon cancer. And um, so they were, had to do the colon first to stop the, so I could get my blood levels back up and stay normal before they can attack, uh, do the liver. 
and that was going to be. So they came up with a plan. Everything was great. The night I had the uh, col uh, the colon surgery, um, they came back out and and told her everything went fine. Everything's good. She could go home. I'm on. I'm. I'm sleeping for the night. I'm going to be fine. And it, I was. Everything was fine until morning, about eight nine o'clock in the morning. I woke up and I was having. Um, it wasn't pain. It was like spasms in my stomach. Probably it probably wasn't pain because I was probably still numb. I don't I don't know. But they they kept saying, "Oh, he's in pain. He's in pain. We got to get some kind of med." And it took about two hours to find something that the doctor finally approved and gave me something to help it. But I was spasming and I was worried about my staples coming out and all this. And the whole time I'm asking, "Where's my wife? Where's my wife? Where's my wife?" And no one could tell me. We tried calling her and all this. And well, she had a few visitors throughout the day, and I was talking to my family about Minnesota my two sisters and my daughter, youngest daughter. And they planned to come down to visit me to help me because I mean, my wife wasn't around. My wife showed up about six o'clock that night. And uh, well, Tony, I'm an alcoholic. What do you expect me to do when I find out my husband's got four stage colon cancer? Uh, well, I kind of expect you to be here for me. you know. So that was kind of hard. Um, that's we, we stayed, she stayed sober pretty much throughout it took me nine months the physical part was hard it was very hard but it would have been easier if the mental side would have been if I was in a better mental state I had three friends of mine down there that were there for me and other than that if it wasn't for those three people I had nobody um she was had pushed everybody away so thank god I, I finished treatment up in November and um got back on her feet because we got very financially behind because of checks were you have to sign paperwork every month to get your disability and sometimes the doctors were slow so we would go two months without a check she would not work not work for nothing she was doing her uber make about 130 dollars a night that was take home or uh that was uh, before any expenses she would go spend get fill up the tank and buy her cigarettes and stuff and and by that time, it was like 90 bucks and or 80 bucks and then have to go to Walmart to buy something and blame it all on me that I'm eating too much. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm on chemo. I'm not eating nothing. You know? But it was always my fault that we never had money. And we'd get a get my one of my checks in the mail or get one of my checks finally. And it would go to catch up everything and it never enough. And um, so anyway, we got um Stayed with a friend for like two or three months at the end of 2018. And by the time I went back to work in December 1st and I was able to get caught back up on everything. And we finally got out on our own again. Um, but I actually, I was scared to death to move in with her alone. I, I did not, I did not want to move with her alone. I was so scared of living with her. Just the uncertainty. Um, I always, I always said that, Fighting uh, cancer was eating easier than living with an alcoholic. And I know that's, uh, there's reasons behind that. But living with an alcoholic, you never know when it's going to end. <laughs> you don't know how it's going to end. The cancer, they told me the treatment. And I know there's other cancer patients out there that don't have that luxury and that blessing that they're told that you could do this and it's going to be fine. 
they told me at nine months, this is fourth stage colon cancer, which you're, I mean, if you're going to have cold fourth stage colon cancer, yours is the easiest to fix the heal. They can guarantee me they will get me cancer free in nine months, but they, they just weren't sure if it was going to reoccur again, that they couldn't guarantee. And that's fine. I can live with that, that. So I had a mission to fight for that nine months or from February, I started till November, by the end of November, I was done. And so I had a month there of going back to work and trying to get life back to normal. But I was scared to death to go back and live with her alone because I knew I knew she wasn't drinking because she couldn't drink with her friends, living with her friends. She couldn't. She had to. She worked and things were. Life was manageable, I guess. And I knew as soon as we moved out, everything was going to be back on my shoulders again. And um, I was scared to death of that. I felt I could do it. I just couldn't handle her, the drinking anymore. That I was done. Yeah, that lasted, we lasted about a year and a half there in that apartment. And she was drinking all the time, all the time. I think she went through treatment again. Um, but it was, and, and, and when they go off to treatment, they come back and they brag about, Oh, you know, I got so healed. I felt I felt so good after that. And oh, you know, and and you're sitting here back at home taking care of all the bills and the house and the just taking care of life and just figuring, you know, entertaining yourself and really can't do much because you're married and you you know you just your friends aren't talking to you much anymore. I had the three friends, but they were, you know, they have their own lives too and so it was tough when she was gone, um, but it was nice. I mean, it was actually, life was tolerable at that time when she would be gone. But I always felt like, why, I need a place like that. Why can't I go away for a month? I took nine months off only because I had cancer and I was trying to get better, but I need a month off to mentally heal. I never got that. And she would always wonder why. I couldn't get better or and it was like, cause I'm too busy taking care of things. I don't know what I could have done differently during that, but um, there's things, I guess I look back now, I guess I could have done, but um, I didn't like an Al-Anon. I hate, I, I don't like the 12 steps. I don't like Al-Anon. Um, um, I tried that. I tried counseling I tried all sorts of things. I never connected with anybody. I never, I don't know why. I, I just, I, I just never, nothing, I, I guess. The thing I was looking for was her to, um, I think what would have helped a lot is her actually acknowledging that how much I was there for her. That would have helped. But I never got there, never got that. Um, in January of 2020, I was um, offered retirement from American Airlines, given a nice uh, check and six months of um, um, insurance available and um, lifelong flight benefits. That's all I was going for when I worked there is long life, flight, long, lifelong flight benefits. But um, so I, I felt I worked here 15 years. I should find a job very easy. It should be no problem. 
And um, sure enough, I found a job, good pay, paid more, doing better work and um, wasn't in the airlines anymore. That was a stressful situation. Um, COVID hit. And everything was shutting down because no one knew how to learn from home. The training class I was scheduled to start on that uh, now I had three jobs lined up after they kept falling through. I lined up more and kept going. Every one of them, the last minute, we don't have any online training yet. We, we're still working on that. Everything was in person. And so COVID really wrecked all that. And the money was going fast. She was she went and spent $3,000 on her teeth, <laughs> on her teeth and her daughter's teeth. Um, and I'm like, and she goes, well, I got to use it before you spend it all. And I'm like, yeah, I got to pay bills. <laughs> you know, that's where they got to go is bills. That's all I had planned for it. Not like I go out doing anything with it. And um, so anyway, here I am again, all this nervousness about living with her again come up and it's good we're you know it's not gonna end good here and i i i hit the emergency button i called my mom up in florida here and i says mom i says we're sinking here i i i don't know what to do um i was a 50 years old at the time a mom um <laughs> can i come live with you can i stay with you for a couple years can we you know we can help each other out a couple days of talking and yeah I had to talk my stepdad into it. And my mom does, did not like my wife at all. They did not get along. And it's funny because my mom gets along with everybody, everybody. And um, uh, she says, well, but if she causes any trouble, if she drinks, you're out. And I says, perfect. That's what I, you know, that's fine with me. If she drinks, I will leave. But um, hopefully she understands that. And she didn't, she went a year and a half without drinking and was doing fine. And then she gets the big idea that she's going to go off her medication because her medication is causing her to gain too much weight. So she went off her medication and, um, oh gosh, no more than four months later, it was all about her again and how no one cares about her and that I'm a loser and, that's that was in January a year ago, and it's been a rough year. I told her in January last year because she was drinking. She started drinking again, and she got into my mom's face a few times and and, and things like that. And I tried to. Uh, I t I warned her. I says, um, I says, if you drink anymore, I'm going to put you on a plane and I'm going to send you up to Minnesota. And I don't care what happens to you, but. I'm not dealing with it anymore. Well, it took until October for me to finally put that to put that rule in. And I finally did it. I finally ended up paying her $3,000 and giving her the car to just leave. Now the intentions were she was going to take over the payments. I have one year left on the car to pay and her to take over all that. But she's got the big idea that she deserves alimony and that I should be paying. It's all my responsibility, and I should be taking care of her. Well, she left in October, and she moved in with a guy. And, um, she drank for the whole month of October, but then I think he was going to kick her out, and uh, she stopped drinking. So now, she, now it's all my fault she drank, and I haven't talked to her since the day after Thanksgiving, so I don't know what all the story is, but he's bought her a new car, I, and the car she's got the car, but I haven't made a payment on it because I can't. Um, 
And I gave her all the information to make the payments. And anyway, so it's all my fault. She's supposedly got a new car from him and she's living life happily. <laughs> and I'm still sitting here trying to pick up all the pieces from the mess she's left again. So that's how things ended. Not the way I was, you know, when, when I would see her drunk and passed out for days on end and I'd pray over her and I'd look over her and think, Someday this is going to be worth it. Someday this is going to be worth it. Someday this is this is going to be a story. Someday we're going to make it. We're going to make it. I kept having that faith and um, probably a little too much. <laughs> so. But when you love somebody, that's what you do, isn't it? You hold on and you hold yeah. on and you hold on so much yeah. so that you don't realize how much you're losing yourself in the process. So yeah. every, every point that you've described, you were clearly doing the best that you could, the best that you knew how with all your heart. And along the way, as you described, you lost yourself. And now what I'd love to talk about is that journey into the light. Yes. How you described going from the darkness into the light yes so my main you know I've, i'm a christian i believe in god and all that and he's kind of the what's kept me going through all of it is my focus on him you know his face keep going um and and that's pretty much what's getting me through um i still have some um physical ailments going on i have some um of course, my finances is in terrible ruins, but you know what? I, I know I, I, I can, I picked myself up before I can do it again. And I, I know this time it's going to be worth it. And I am excited about it. I, I, this, this, this process of what I've been going through, it's part of it about doing even this interview and even talking about it anymore. It's kind of like, it's kind of a mixed bag. It feels good to talk about it, but it also, you, you kind of just want to forget it and just move on and just say, I learned, I lived, I made it move on. <laughs> but if I don't know if I could, if anything, if someone hears this and, 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 and can just see, Oh my gosh, that's where I'm at, you know, and kind of, I ain't saying leave anybody. I ain't saying anything. I'm just saying, during that, you have to take care of yourself. I think I lost that somewhere. Well, I'm taking care of myself now, and I'm doing much better. Every day gets better. I, I'm, I, I just, I, I had a great Christmas with family. It was awesome. It was great. Um, a week down here with all my sisters and 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 brother-in-laws, and it was just a blessing. It was just awesome, and. I start a new job um, next week and I'm excited about that. I, I, I'm just, I just have a lot to look forward to and it's just, I, and I feel at peace with it now. I'm not scared of the future anymore. And, and I actually, if I work for something, I know something's not going to come along and just take it away, you know, like her drinking again or something, you know, it's just, it's, I feel more secure now and, mm -hmm. So I'm feeling really good about the future. I'm feeling really good. <laughs> That's beautiful, Tony. I love how you have described all of that. And 
the realization of how healing it is when you start taking care of yourself. And once you start doing that, it all changes. And then you just keep taking care of yourself and it continues to get better and better. Yes, you can. You, uh, I will get better. Yes, there, yeah. it is possible. And and I have to say, the thing that I've learned through all of this, through my own healing, is I know it can be tough talking about things from the past and remembering things from the past. But when we do and when we feel it and when we let those feelings pass, they go and they lose their power. And and the more we yeah. talk about it, the easier it gets to talk about it because they don't; those emotions don't have a hold on us anymore. So you're going to feel even better tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> after this conversation, Tony. So oh, thank good. you so much. So oh, yes. I'm so grateful that you've been here to share so wholeheartedly. I think it will help many who listen. And I like to end every conversation with gratitude. Could you tell us something that you're feeling grateful for today? Life. <laughs> uh, um, February 6, 2018, um, I had, I Googled things about cancer and, 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 and it not, didn't look good. I mean, five years down the road did not have good. So I, I beat that. Uh, February 6th will be five years. Uh, I hit that mark. Um, I, I got a week to go. I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to make it. <laughs> and so just being so grateful about life now, just being so much out there, so much the beach. I just love the beach. I just love sunrises and sunsets. And I got into barns. <laughs> I love old <laughs> barns. I, I have, I follow. It started when um, we moved um, just before I was diagnosed. Um, um, I, I had this picture of a barn it was in ohio it's a very famous barn and it was a painting and it was such a cool painting you look at it from different angles and you just see different lights in it and it's shadowed differently and so now i'm a i, I love barns you know i mean i don't know why that's kind of silly but i mean just just the just light I, I get more out of my bible readings now i get more out of it's just I'm just happy to be alive now. It's just, uh, I guess that's what I'm thankful for is life itself. Just being alive and being here. Because <laughs> I really don't think I should be. I mean, after everything, after everything I went through, I, I, I feel very blessed that I'm here. So I guess that's what I'm very grateful for. That's lovely, Tony. And I thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. Thank you. It's a wonderful story. Um, and I, I hope that everyone heard the really important message there, which is that when you start taking care of yourself, life can change for the better. Yes, it can. And if everybody does that, I'm sure there'll yes. be a lot more people smiling again. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. This has been Smiling Again, hosted by me, Kim Moore. Let's walk this journey together, one thing at a time, taking small steps, little actions every day, which can help you let go and start smiling again. Don't forget, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. See you next week.